0: On today's episode, it's the second half of that Captain America Civil War episode that I was telling you about. This time it's Spider Man No Way Home. Enjoy! Mm-hmm. Welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by. I do appreciate it. Today on the show, like I said, Spider-Man No Way Home, released on December 17th, 2021, based on Marvel Comics characters and stories originally developed by Stan Lee and Steve Ditko and some that were developed by other writers. There are a lot of characters at play here. Directed by John Watts, and he's actually directed all three Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. Those actually, I would say, the Spider-Man movies probably get better with each successive installment, and that's a rare quality. For the writers, we have Chris McKenna and Eric Summers, and they did the other two Tom Holland Spider-Man movies. They did the Lego Batman movie, which I like okay, but People really thought I was gonna fucking love it because I'm such a big Batman guy. And I just, it was okay. I wasn't like head over the head over heels for it. They also did Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle. And I've never seen these new Jumanji movies. I mean, it's got what? The Rock, Kevin Hart, Jack Black, and Karen Gillan. Honestly, the only reason, I mean, like, I, I love Jack Black. The Rock's okay. Kevin Hart, I could take him or leave him. And honestly, Karen Gillan would be the only reason I'd really watch it because she's super attractive. Anyway, they also did Ant-Man and the Wasp, which was about as good as the original Ant-Man movie. And then for the producers, we have Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal. Kevin Feige is still the president of Marvel Studios and the primary producer of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Amy Pascal produced... The Ghostbusters reboot from 2016, which is awful. I it doesn't even bother me that they gender swapped, but it's like we don't need another remake. The humor in the movie was terrible. Get the fuck out of here. Like, just fucking do better, you know? And she also did all Spider-Man-related movies. She produced all of the Spider-Man-related movies since Tom Holland was cast. And I believe that would include like Venom and basically any of those other Sony Marvel properties. For the score, uh, we have composer Michael, I think it's Giacchino. I love his work. Like he's got a lot of great fucking scores. He did The Incredibles, the Pixar movie, and that is fucking phenomenal. It's one of my favorite Pixar movies easily. And he did Jurassic World, which I liked okay. I had friends saying that they were legitimately going and seeing that in theater multiple times. And I'm like, it's not that good guys. Like it's not, I I can, I, I don't understand it. He also did rogue one, a star Wars story previously covered on this podcast. And I really love rogue one. And I talked about it on that episode with my friend Lance and it's fucking solid. I mean, It's the fact that it had so many rewrites and that didn't like completely destroy what they had going for it. I I'm so pleased last but not least, we have the Batman with Robert Pattinson from 2022 and that score. I mean, I should mention that with rogue one, it was the first star Wars movie, not to have a John Williams score. And that's a big fucking deal uh, but the Batman was, it was probably one of the more simplistic scores, but the score was so epic, and what it, like, really fit the tone of the movie very well, and it, I just, I adored it. Honestly, this is probably a hot take. Like, I, I like the Batman. I don't think it has the rewatchability that a lot of the other Batman movies do or other superhero movies. Okay, so the cast, Tom Holland plays Peter Parker slash Spider-Man and I'll explain how we'll differentiate between the different Spider-Men. Zendaya plays Michelle M.J. Watson or Jones Watson, excuse me. Benedict Cumberbatch plays Doctor Strange. Jamie Foxx plays Max Dillon slash Electro. Willem Dafoe plays Norman Osborn slash Green Goblin. Alfred Molina plays Dr. Otto Octavius slash Dr. Octopus. Marissa Tomei, who I have noted is hot, plays May Parker, Peter's Aunt May. Andrew Garfield plays Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. And he was in the two amazing Spider-Man movies from 2012 and 2014. And... Toby McGuire plays Peter Parker slash Spider-Man and he played the character in the Sam Raimi movies, the three of them, uh, 2002, 2004, 2007, and the first two are fucking stellar. The third one is hot garbage, and I feel like every fucking time I hear somebody point out what hot garbage Spider-Man 3 was, some dipshit has to fucking come into the internet comment sections and... Say, oh, you know, I like that one. It's like, no, you you might have fucking liked it. That does not mean it's a good movie. So, casting notes, Tom Holland is the youngest person to portray Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, being 19 years old at the time. And I will talk a bit more later about how old the other actors were at different points in time. So, I forgot to type out a fucking plot synopsis. So, this is going to be a mess, but I'm going to say, after the world finds out that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Peter goes to Doctor Strange to see if he can cast a spell to make them all forget that he's Spider-Man. Due to this, the spell being botched, essentially, more or less, it causes numerous other heroes and villains to enter Peter's universe. Okay, that was that was not as bad as I expected it to be. But it was pretty bad. So the tagline is, The Multiverse Unleashed. All right? And I guess that's probably fair. That's a reasonable statement. So I guess I'll just dive right into the plot of this fucking movie. So this movie opens up right where the last movie, Spider-Man Far From Home, left off, where the villain was Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. There's video of Mysterio being played on the news where he's setting up Spider-Man to be framed for Mysterio's murder, despite Mysterio having truly brought it upon himself. We hear J. Jonah Jameson, as played by J.K. Simmons, basically calling for Spider-Man's head, claiming that he's the monster that Jameson thought thought he was all along. So we're hearing all of this without seeing anything, and I feel compelled to note that if you're not familiar with the Spidey universe, Jameson is predominantly the editor-in-chief of the fictional New York City newspaper, the Daily Bugle, and this movie he's only really portrayed on this Daily Bugle news show that I I don't know if it's supposed to be like a national news show, but it, that's he's basically the 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 anchor of this Daily Bugle news show. So Jameson has always had a negative perception of Spider-Man and often paints a negative picture of his heroism in the Bugle and makes him out to be a bad guy at every turn. So at the end of Far From Home, actually might even be a post credit scene, I'm not sure, through the run-in with Mysterio, Spider-Man's true identity of Peter Parker is revealed to the public on TV. Peter Parker is essentially in New York City and He sees Jameson come up on the big screen in Times Square and it's basically like they reveal who he is. So it's it's kind of fucking wild. So immediately the movie starts with the reaction by the public to the news and Spider-Man quickly has to rescue MJ who is played by Zendaya from a crowd of people who realize that she is Peter's girlfriend. The crowd surrounds Peter and asks him if he really murdered Mysterio. And obviously, he quickly denies all of that and swings away with MJ. It's just utter chaos as they try and decide where to flee to that would be safe from all of these these curious people. At Peter's place, we see his Aunt May, played by the lovely Marissa Tomei, breaking off her fling with Happy Hogan, who is portrayed by Jon Favreau, and he's devastated as any man would be. So sorry for having to introduce so many people. It just, it's going to keep happening in this episode, but it'll all be over soon. Well, Soonish, I guess. So they quickly realize that news helicopters are shooting live footage of the apartment building they're in. They see on the news that Mysterio's drones were manufactured by Stark Industries, and I'm sure that has some relevance, but I'm not really picking up on what they were going for with that. Like, are they saying that because of Peter's affiliation with Stark that that just further lends credibility to the story that Peter caused Mysterio's death? I guess. So authorities show up with a warrant for Peter's arrest and May puts up a fight, but they're really not having it. And Peter's being interrogated and everyone tells him not to say anything without a lawyer. And Peter was hoping Nick Fury would back him up, but they tell that they tell him that Fury has been off planet for over a year. MJ is getting interrogated too and says she wants a lawyer and she knows their tricks. I don't remember... If her parents are like lawyers or something, I don't know. They also have Peter's best friend, Ned, in interrogation as well. And Ned is an idiot, so he fucking says a bunch of incriminating shit. They're questioning May, and she's demanding a lawyer. And they suggest that she's put herself in jeopardy by endangering a minor as Peter's legal guardian. I guess they all get out on bail, and wouldn't you know it? Charlie Cox's Matt Murdock shows up at the apartment as their legal counsel. For those that don't know, Murdock is also blind and is the superhero Daredevil, who is also known as the Man Without Fear. It's important to note that Matt has a legal partner named Foggy Nelson, who is portrayed on the Daredevil TV show by Eldon Henson. What I would have liked to have seen happen was a little nod to the fact that John Favreau, who plays Happy, also played Foggy Nelson in the Daredevil movie from 2003 starring Ben Affleck. But I didn't notice any hint at that. If they made one, it could have happened. I might have missed it. Matt tells Peter that he doesn't believe any of the charges against him are going to stick and everyone is relieved, but Matt points out to Happy that the feds are still investigating the stolen technology and that if he potentially has any involvement in that part of Stark's legacy, he should probably lawyer up. Matt tells Peter that despite seemingly being out of legal trouble, his worst troubles are yet to come. Suddenly, someone throws a brick through the window with a note attached that says, We believe Mysterio. So they decide to relocate to a safer place. They go to this super nice apartment with some tech stuff that appears to be owned by Stark Industries or something. Peter talks to MJ and, and she asks him if any part of him feels relieved by anything that's happened. He says the only time he felt happy was during the one week when MJ knew his secret, but now everyone knows, and it's awful. They go to school, and there are tons of people protesting Peter, and they run into Ned and Flash Thompson, and Flash surprisingly still likes Peter because of his love of Spider-Man, but Flash is like a bully to Peter Parker for the most part, so it's, it's kind of goofy how he responded to that news. Peter's teachers are being super weird and fucking telling him that they're cool with him and all that. Peter and MJ are hanging out on top of the roof one of one of the buildings at school and Ned shows up and they talk about plans for college and awaiting where they might get into and if they'll all be together somewhere. Peter starts getting his letters back from his prospective colleges and he's seemingly not having any luck. Then Peter, MJ, and Ned sit down on their last chance letters. They they decide they're all going to open them together and they're all turned down and they realize that it's their affiliation with Peter and they're all bummed, but they say they wouldn't have changed anything about what they've done. Peter goes to a house downtown where he hopes to find Doctor Strange and when he goes to the door, it automatically opens for him and he walks in and the place is covered with snow because of some portal having been opened to to Siberia. Strange emerges, and Peter asks him if he could cast a spell to undo people finding out about his secret identity. So he says he no longer has the time stone, so he couldn't make something like that happen, but he could potentially cast a spell to make everyone forget that Peter Parker is Spider-Man, but his friend Wong warns him about how dangerous this particular spell can be to use and is asked. Wong just wants to be left out of it because he knows Strange is just going to fucking do this, even though it's not a good idea. So Strange takes Peter to a special magical room to cast the spell, but as he starts doing his thing, Peter realizes this means that literally no one other than him will know his secret identity and he gets like second thoughts. But Strange says that this is simply the way the spell works and that's how it's going to go. So Strange agrees to allow the spell to omit MJ and Ned from being affected. But Peter keeps wanting to include other people like Aunt May and shit. And Strange says he doesn't want to alter the spell any further. And it doesn't make any sense to me because like, okay, let's say... If the original spell just wiped everybody's brain clear of this knowledge of Peter Parker being Spider-Man, then what the fuck difference was that going to make? Like, you could just tell the three people that you want to know about it, and that's it. Like, I'm missing something here. Like, what was he so worried about? Anyway... So Peter keeps asking for shit and Strange is seemingly losing control of the spell as he gets more distracted and Strange has to shut down the spell because of the inherent danger presenting itself as it goes out of control. Strange tells Peter he's sorry that he and his friends didn't get into college and Strange just assumes that they already reached out to them to reconsider, but Peter didn't even realize that this appeal process was an option. Strange becomes furious when he realizes Peter came to him and had him start casting a spell without even doing the whole thing with an appeal, considering the ramifications of a a spell, even if they didn't fuck it up. Peter asks Flash to help him with going to this MIT mixer so he can talk to someone about appealing his rejection so now Peter is in a rush to get to the event and he's on this bridge during a traffic jam and he finds this woman in her car who is apparently one of these admissions people at MIT as he begins talking to her about MJ and Ned's application his spider sense goes off so obviously something's up and he jumps up on top of her vehicle to get a better look at what the disturbance is doc ock as played by alfred molina appears i should probably mention that this character is played by the same actor that was in sam Raimi. you know it's the same character and actor that was in spider-man 2 the sam raimi movie from 2004 which starred toby mcguire as spider-man doc ock is a scientist who wanted to develop a- I-, I haven't watched the movie in a long time so this is kind of probably going to be shitty on the details, but he wanted to develop a machine that would generate energy. And in order to interface with this creation, he developed these mechanical metal arms that he subsequently lost control of during a demonstration of his device. It's like this whole thing where it's basically like the only thing that was keeping these arms from taking over Doc Ock's mind was this inhibitor chip that was just like fucking out there, like ready to be destroyed on accident. You know, it didn't make any fucking sense. So I don't know. I mean, I also thought it was, it was pretty definite that, uh, that Doc Ock died in Spider-Man two. This is what I'm thinking as I'm watching the movie this time through. Cause I couldn't remember what had happened later in the movie. And I, I I couldn't remember if they addressed this issue. So Doc Ock recognizes Spider-Man, but doesn't know that this is not the Spider-Man of his universe. He calls him Peter and begins throwing vehicles at him with his arms, and then he grabs Spider-Man, and for some reason he doesn't just kill him in this moment, despite seeming heavily motivated to do so. Spider-Man gets free and reveals that he has four mechanical arms of his own built into his suit, and Doc makes a comment about, how he should have killed Peter's girlfriend when he had the chance. Ock is, of course, referring to the events of of Spider-Man 2, but this Spider-Man doesn't know that Doc Ock doesn't realize how confused he is either. The two of them really go at it on the bridge, throwing each other around and using the vehicles and various construction materials to attack one another. The MIT lady falls off the bridge in her vehicle and Spider-Man manages to save her with his webbing. Doc Ock captures Spider-Man and goes for his kill stroke, but Spider-Man's mask has come off and at this point, you know, Doc Ock looks at him and he's like, what? This is, you're not Peter Parker. While Doc Ock is distracted, Peter uses the nanotechnology in his suit to take control of Doc Ock's mechanical arms. Peter uses Doc's arms to rescue the MIT lady, and she says that she's going to talk to her people about Peter and his friend's applications. So Peter has Doc wrapped up, and suddenly a spherical bomb, that, like an orange bomb, lands on the pavement. And this was a major te- teaser moment in the trailer for this movie, and everyone who has a pulse that has ever seen Spider-Man movies before knew it meant that Willem Dafoe's Green Goblin was going to be in this film, but they still, they went to great lengths to act like it was some super mystery and that no one knew he'd be in it for some reason. So they also tried to act like it wasn't obvious that the the other Spider-Man actors were going to appear and even made Toby Maguire and Andrew, Andrew Garfield persistently deny their involvement in this project. So suddenly Peter is taken away from the bridge and appears in a room with Dr. Strange, where Doc Ock is actually captured. Strange explains to Peter that when that spell was coming together that they were trying to do to make everybody forget, and Peter kept fucking with it. It caused multiple beings from other universes to cross over into theirs since the spell basically became unstable. So Strange clearly recognizes that Ack is from a universe with a Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, but his Peter Parker is not the same Peter Parker. Peter and Strange decide to try and figure out what to do about these new villains. Strange brings uh, MJ and Ned to the sanctum San, San, sanctum santorum I think is what it's called and the three kids go down to the basement where some of the villains are being held so they ask Doc Ock what his name is and he says Dr. Otto Octavius and they all laugh which is like I I think that's kind of a stupid joke I mean it's a it's a silly name but it's like I can't I can't imagine that being a name that I would like just openly laugh in somebody's face about that being their name. They see the lizard in another holding cell. And honestly, the lizard is like the, he's the most forgotten villain in this movie. Like he doesn't really have jack shit to do. And the the CGI for the lizard is also kind of shitty. So there's that. Peter gets a lead on the green goblin and Doc reveals that he knows who the goblin is. Ock points out that it can't be Norman Osborn because he died, but it's like am I misremembering Spider-Man 2 because didn't Doc Ock die at the end of that? This is of course what I'm ha- what I'm thinking in at the time. So Spider-Man is in his black and gold outfit, you know, his suit and goes to find the Green Goblin with MJ and Ned in his ear, but instead he finds Electro as played by Jamie Foxx, and Sandman, as played by Thomas Hayden Church. Electro was in The Amazing Spider-Man 2 with Andrew Garfield, and Sandman was in Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man 3 with, uh, that was the last one of the movies, and it was shitty. So Peter goes to try and stop Electro with the help of Sandman. And this scene is super dark, I don't mean like tonally. I can't see what the fuck's going on in this scene, but Sandman notices that Peter is not the same Peter he knows. So Peter tries to explain that the two villains are in different universe or in a different universe, and it's all his fault. And then Sandman and Electro are transported back to the holding cells in the same room as Doc Ock and Lizard. Electro recognizes Lizard as being from his universe, and I guess Sandman recognizes Doc Ock for some reason, maybe from the news. I don't think they ever interacted with each other. Although the villains all went to the holding area, Peter stayed back to pick up the mess and kind of do damage control and help make it look like he's not just causing destruction everywhere. Meanwhile, we see Willem Dafoe's Norman Osborn in his goblin suit and he's doing the whole bit where the goblin mask is hanging on the corner of a dumpster and he's having a conversation with his presumably presumably sane self and the insane goblin character. So like, it's basically just like, you know, scary goblin voice talking to nice Norman voice. They make it seem like Norman has become a bit of a loner drifter type of some sort. Goblin is chastising Norman for hiding from who he really is and suggests that he's also a straight up bitch. Suddenly, Peter gets a call from May and she tells him someone is at the apartment to see him and it's Norman. Norman is hoping Peter might be able to help him sort out his issues, not just with getting back to his universe, but with him being fucking nuts and all. It's important to note that there's obviously no way that Goblin Norman will take back over because, you know, he couldn't possibly want to cause chaos or anything. So at the Daily Bugle news show, J.J. gets a call from someone trailing or basically tracking Peter May and Norman. They're like tailing them. Norman comes to the building or to the holding cell and they finally address the whole confusion of the characters having died in prior storylines. Sandman explains to Ock and Norman that they both died despite them having no memory of that happening. The other villains chime in and all tell similar stories of how they remember fighting Spider-Man in the moments leading up to their deaths and then the next thing they remember is appearing in this new universe. I didn't point it out with the other guys because, honestly, I don't remember those movies as well because, honestly, those movies were not super great. Like, I just kind of forgot. I couldn't remember whether or not they'd actually died. Strange explains his plans to reverses spell to send them back to their own universes and effectively kill them. Peter is not on board with simply killing all of them, and Strange says it's their fate and that the universe is more important than their lives. Spider-Man kind of fights Strange and tries to take the box he's using to reverse the spell, and Strange hits him with this super magic punch and knocks Peter completely out of his suit it's a very cool shot it's like you can see him punching spider-man and peter parker like the the spider-man suit is still there and peter parker is flying out the back of it it's pretty fucking awesome honestly so peter assumes that he's dead but Strange explains that Peter was simply separated from his physical form. Spider-Man and Strange go back to fighting, and there's a lot of surreal imagery that is similar to what we saw a lot of in the first Doctor Strange movie. The two of them argue, and Strange uses some spells to try and stop Spider-Man. Strange intends to leave Spider-Man in this alternate dimension. I think they're like over the Grand Canyon, and he wants to do this to keep Spider-Man out of the way, and basically Spider-Man figured out that the way everything is working in this alternate dimension is fundamentally geometric, so it's like, He's really good at geometry in school and he figures out what he can do to get out of there. So he elects to trick Strange into being left where he intended to leave Spider-Man. So Spider-Man comes back to the villains and tells them he wants to try and figure out a way to fix everything and potentially have them not die too. But they're not on board with being fixed initially, But when they see that they really have no other choice in the matter, they decide to just hear him out and see what they need to do. Peter tells MJ and Ned that he has to do what he's going to do without them to avoid putting them in danger. So the villains decide to go with Peter, and they head to the apartment. So Peter decides he's going to go to work on fixing all of them, despite their feelings that they don't need fixing. He starts by trying to fix the inhibitor chip for uh, Doc Ock, And the inhibitor chip for his tentacles, actually, it's the one I was talking about. It fried shortly after he started testing them out and subsequently lost control of his actions and became evil. It's kind of a shitty explanation, but it is what it is. So Peter installs the new inhibitor chip and... It works as planned and Doc goes back to normal, it seems. Electro seems aggressive and not on board as Peter goes to work on fixing him and Sandman is trying to get him to just go along with it so that they can all get back home. JJ arrives outside and chastises the man he has tailing Peter because he wasn't keeping a close enough watch on him and let him get out of sight. And there's all this shit that he's clearly doing, obviously, that... The guy doesn't even know anything about. Suddenly, it's revealed that Goblin has taken over Norman, and Goblin says that the villains don't need fixing, and essentially, all but Doc Ock go into open revolt, and Peter tells May to run. So, let's see, the villains start to wreak havoc on the building and are going outside and causing trouble. Goblin is fighting with Spider-Man in the apartment hallway, and he's clearly stronger than Spider-Man, and Doc Ock interrupts them. Suddenly, on the ground floor, Goblin has Spidey dead to rights, and Goblin throws a pumpkin bomb, and Spider-Man has to jump and deflect it away from May, and it explodes in his face. May is okay, it seems, And she has to convince Peter that he did the right thing, despite what the consequences have been. But apparently May is actually not doing as well as it seemed initially, and she collapses after telling Peter that with great power comes great responsibility. So Peter cries out for an ambulance, but it's pretty clear that May is going to die. And she, of course, does, despite Peter verbally trying to convince her not to. And I'm pretty surprised that didn't fucking work. It's a pretty solid moment and necessary for character development, I suppose. That Just her dying, its it was unexpected, so it was, it was a nice little twist. The police come and still view Peter as a criminal and start shouting at him and probably assume he was the cause of all of this chaos, which indirectly he was. MJ and Ned are hanging out with Strange's box and wishing they could see Peter aloud and causing a portal to that that causes a portal to open and wouldn't you know it spider-man appears but also wouldn't you know it it's not their spider-man it's andrew Garfield's spider-man and of course they're taken aback by the situation and at this point for clarity to my devoted listeners and viewers now i will refer to each spider-man's actor's character by their last name Basically, Andrew Garfield was in The Amazing Spider-Man. I will call him Garfield. Tobey Maguire was in the original three Spider-Man movies. I will call him Maguire. And that'll be it. Garfield has to convince MJ and Ned that he really is the Spider-Man of his universe. And Ned's older female relative, I don't remember if it's his mom or his aunt or what is at the apartment they're at, and she's freaking the fuck out by what's happened. So Garfield is trying to figure out what happened to make him go to another universe, and MJ wants him to prove who he is. So she picks up a dinner roll from the table and throws it at Garfield's face to see if he has a spider sense, and he doesn't dodge it. So basically she thinks he might not be legit, but he insists that he does have the spider sense, but he just it doesn't work for something like that. Like he didn't sense any danger from that, but he jumps up and sticks his hand to the ceiling and they make him do this whole song and dance to confirm that he's not faking anything. Like they make him clean cobwebs out of the ceiling and, and like crawl and like climb around all over the place. I mean, it's a bit much Then all of a sudden, another portal opens, and Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man walks into the apartment. Maguire explains that he's also Peter Parker from yet another universe, and he spots Garfield and tries shooting webbing at him when he realizes he's also Spider-Man. So, McGuire goes on to explain that a feeling in the pit of his soul brought him there, and he said that the feeling gave him reason to believe someone was in trouble there and needs help. So, McGuire asks MJ and Ned if they can think of anywhere that Holland might have gone that was like a safe place for him. So, they find him on top of the building at school where him and MJ were earlier, and Holland is very emotional about having lost his Aunt May, as you might expect. Maguire and Garfield reveal themselves and Holland says his aunt died for nothing and he needs to fix everything. He apologizes to Maguire and Garfield for bringing them into the whole thing and they both explain how they inadvertently caused the death of their Uncle Ben's and how it impacted them and they learned from it. So, here's where I get confused. Does Holland's Spider-Man have an uncle Ben or not. Like I always just assumed he had one in this universe, but we just never saw him because people were like tired of seeing the same old song and dance with uncle Ben dying. So it was just like, they had that be like an established thing that uncle Ben's already gone. Like he's, he's not here anymore. So Holland doesn't say anything along the lines of having had an uncle Ben. So that's just kind of fucking weird to me. Holland explains to them what May said about how with great power and McGuire says comes great responsibility since that's what his uncle Ben said to him and Garfield makes it sound like his uncle Ben said that it's just, eh. here's the thing when they, when they came out with the amazing Spider-Man and Andrew Garfield and all that, they were essentially rebooting the entire franchise and they felt like they needed to do an origin story and they really should have just started off he's already Spider-Man blah 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 so like the whole thing with Uncle Ben and the amazing Spider-Man is like everything they do and say in that movie is like Altered just enough to make it not exactly the same. And it's fucking stupid. So he doesn't actually say with great power comes great responsibility. So like they did a piss poor job of that. And it annoys me that like they brought Harry Osborn's goblin character into that second amazing Spider-Man movie. And it's like, why did you need to go back to the same well that the previous movie? Don't fucking redo any more than you have to do. Make these things your own. So the heroes are trying to formulate a plan. So basically Garfield goes to work on a cure for Dr. Connors, since he's cured Dr. Connors before, and McGuire tries to work on an antiserum for Osborne. I like that there's an overall vibe of McGuire and Garfield's characters sort of serving as mentors to Holland, helping him through all of his troubles which makes sense because they're both like 40 years older than Holland, but I'm just kidding. Maguire was born in 75, which put him at like 46 when this movie came out. Garfield was 38 and Holland was 25 and that's in this movie. So still a pretty big gap and they could still be Holland's wise elders or whatever. Fun fact though, Maguire was 26 when he first portrayed Spider-Man, despite looking about 39. Garfield was 28. He he was actually older than Tobey Maguire was in his first movie, but he was actually considered for that first. It's a big fucking long thing. So anyway, Holland was originally 19 when he was in Captain America Civil War. So anywho, they go to work on everything and they know that they need to fix all of the villains to be successful. And I should mention that there's been a lot of fan service since the the whole two Spider-Man, uh, Spider-Men showed up with their references to the events of their movies. Also earlier, Norman Osborn told Holland, you know, I'm something of a scientist myself, which is a direct quote from the 2002 Spider-Man movie that Norman Osborn says, I feel like Zendaya is probably pretty, but she looks like a fucking child to me. To be completely honest, she's she looks way too fucking young. I'm just like, I'm I'm good. Basically, this whole sequence with them working on the like in the lab is laced with one Spider-Man occur- encouraging another to keep their chins up at every turn. So they determine that McGuire is the only one whose body produces his webbing for him while Holland and Garfield have to develop the webbing themselves. They try and figure out what the plan of attack must be. And Ned reveals to Holland that he has Dr. Strange levels of magic now, and they can use it to get to the villains. So they go to the statue of Liberty. And this is basically where the big showdown with the villains will be. McGuire and Garfield sit and chat, and Garfield cracks McGuire's back for him, and all three of them start talking about McGuire's fascinating organic webbing. They start going on about the different villains they faced off against, and suddenly they hear rumblings in the distance of the approaching villains. Electro reveals himself and the fighting kind of begins as he generates an electrical field and Garfield starts facing off against him. Sandman appears and turns into a giant and grabs Holland. And then the lizard is kind of fighting with Garfield a bit. And then by some crazy coincidence, all three of the spider masks come off. And I know what you're thinking. This is an obvious choice made by the filmmakers to give the actors more face time. And you'd be correct. At least I can only assume so. I can neither confirm nor deny that, but it only seems fair to point out that possibility because most other Spider-Man media, like especially the animated series from the 90s, they they didn't feature him losing his mask all the fucking time. Like, yeah. Most of the time, he would become Spider-Man, and his mask would never come off. Okay, so it's starting to seem like the villains are too much for them, even though they aren't even all there yet, I don't think. All three Spider-Men try to take out Electro, and meanwhile, Lizard realizes he can hear MJ and Ned speaking from the other side of a portal, and he starts charging at them, so Holland has to stop uh, stop Lizard. Then Electro is trying to take out the other Spider-Men and Doc Ox shows up and initially you think he's bad, but he also stops Electro while going for Holland and Maguire. MJ and Ned are fleeing from Lizard and Holland hits him with the, I'm sorry, with the Lizard Antidote, which, Antidote, I know how to pronounce that, which turns him back into Dr. Connors. Strange suddenly shows up with the intent to stop Holland. Then MJ and Ned tell Strange that Holland's plan is working to fix these villains. We get these heartfelt moments with Garfield and Electro, as well as Maguire and Doc Ock, and it's not too sappy, luckily. Holland finds Strange and apologizes to him, and he meets Maguire and Garfield. Strange has been dangling in that realm over the Grand Canyon for like 12 hours and just managed to somehow get out. Strange says it's admirable that they're trying to give the villains a second chance, but it all has to end. Suddenly Goblin shows up on its glider and MJ falls and Goblin prevents Holland from saving her and Garfield swoops in and gets her. And it feels like such an emotional moment. What with the moment echoing the accidental snapping of Gwen Stacy's neck at the end of amazing Spider-Man two. So it's kind of like a redemption moment for Garfield almost. MJ and Ned find each other, and Holland makes sure that they're okay, and he has has Goblin down, and Goblin taunts him into a hand-to-hand fight. This fight is actually pretty solid, and Holland is really going all out trying to kill him, and... Just as Holland's going to take him out using his glider as a weapon, like he's he's literally going to take it like fucking smash him in the face with his glider. McGuire stops him and then Goblin promptly takes out McGuire. Goblin begins to get a rise out of Holland by taunting him that it was indirectly Holland's fault that Aunt May died, even though Goblin actually caused it. In a rage, Holland stabs Goblin in the fucking neck, but it's actually the Goblin antidote And he goes back to normal and immediately shows remorse for what he's clearly done as the Goblin. Suddenly, Strange is trying to stop all of these other beings from coming into the universe and trying to get at Holland. Holland proposes that Strange cast a spell to make everyone forget who he is. And Strange explains that it would mean literally everyone would forget who he was. Holland accepts this and goes to thank the badly wounded McGuire and Garfield for their help. I actually almost thought that McGuire was going to fucking die at the, like the way it was looking. It didn't look good. Holland goes to see MJ and Ned and breaks the news about the spell. And he explains that he will simply come and find them and make a connection again. They're not huge fans of this, but he tells them it's the only way to solve the huge issues facing their universe obviously it's super emotional as they're essentially saying goodbye to each other permanently in a sense so holland accepts his fate and has strange cast the spell and everything seemingly goes back to people not knowing holland's secret identity jj is on the news later bitching about how spider-man hides behind his secret identity and should reveal who he really is to everyone Holland goes to see MJ at work and he waves at her as he walks in and she waves, but she's actually waving at Ned that he just like walked in behind Peter. Holland walks up and introduces himself, but despite having this whole thing written out on this sheet of paper, he just freezes up before he can tell it to her. And he just says he wants a coffee. So he overhears that She got into MIT and she seems a bit uneasy about the whole thing and says the saying that she says all the time about like, if you always expect disappointment, you'll never be disappointed. So he pays for his coffee and awkwardly seems to have no exit strategy for his encounter with MJ. I can't help but wonder if he should have just gotten a fucking number, you know what I'm saying? But that most definitely did not happen. He did not get a number. So Holland goes to Aunt May's grave and Happy walks up beside him and asks how Holland knew her and they talk about how what happened to her was not meaningless and she'll live on through these people that were, you know, these people's lives that she affected, you know. Holland goes to his new apartment with the smallest box of belongings ever and listens to the police radio scanner and suits up and goes out to do his thing. In the mid-credits scene, we see Eddie Brock, as played by Tom Hardy, at a bar. The bartender has apparently been telling Brock about this area where all these super beings are seemingly concentrated. The bartender explains the Avengers Infinity Saga to Brock. Brock decides he should go to NYC and visit Spider-Man and then he just seemingly disappears or transports to another dimension and a small glob of the symbiote that makes Brock Venom is seen wiggling around on the bar. Now, my take on this moment was when I first, when I watched it, it's basically they were using this opportunity to eliminate Hardy's Venom from this timeline slash universe and leave it up in the air as to who would replace him. I like, I thought that was what they were trying to say is like, basically it's not going to be Tom Hardy's venom. That's going to be in this universe, but it could be a venom, but uh, apparently I Googled it just to make sure. And I found on that website, the rap that I guess the suggestion is that Venom was brought to this universe by the same Doctor Strange spell that drew in the other villains from other universes. And that instead of finding Holland, he sat at this bar to hear about the infinity saga. And that's where it stopped. Then when the strange spell undid all the Spider-Man stuff, it basically just, when that spell made everybody forget, it took everybody out of the universe including Venom, and so, or Brock, and that's how it goes down. So essentially, this is their way of shooting down the potential for Hardy's Venom to join the MCU at all. Which is good, because despite my well-documented love of Tom Hardy, and I do love the character Venom, his two Venom movies are very underwhelming, and they made a lot of weird choices in them that I didn't like. Then, in the post credit scene, we get what is essentially a teaser trailer or even just a regular trailer for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now, I've always heard that Doctor Strange 2 was supposed to come out before No Way Home, but they fucked up and decided to release No Way Home first because of basically release date delays caused by the pandemic and things like that that essentially just fucked all of that up. And they had to actually go back and fix references to respective movies. You know, the, No Way Home was referencing Multiverse of Madness events, and Multiverse of Madness events was, you know, it, it didn't, it wasn't good. Honestly, I hate the whole mid and post credit scene thing, and this was particularly stupid, because they just did a trailer for Doctor Strange 2, and it's like, that's, I don't, I, I can watch a trailer online. Like, I want to see something that, like, is uh, basically like a small scene that just hints at something that's coming down the road, not like giving me a trailer of the probably the, the next movie in the MCU that was supposed to come out. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't like the concept of the mid and post credit scenes because they're, it's like put it in the fucking movie. I don't need to fucking sit through 10 minutes of credits in order to get this out of these movies. They should just fucking do it the way they should. Okay, so praise for this movie. I love the writing in this movie and the clever way that they made the story work. Uh, Obviously, it was great seeing all of the actors from prior movies come back. The additional references to the prior movies were well done and not overdone, in my opinion. The action was top notch and highly enjoyable for me. Criticism killing off Aunt May left me on the fence. Like it was necessary, but that just means no more Marissa Tomei. So that kind of sucks. So, 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 trivia for his appearance in this film. Alfred Molina was digitally de aged to make him appear as he had in Spider Man 2 from 2004, and his mechanical tentacles were created through CGI rather than through puppetry like in the first film. To preserve the secrecy of the film's production and to prevent his appearance from being leaked, Willem Dafoe walked around the set with a cloak covering his costume. Tom Holland accidentally bumped into Defoe while cloaked, and this was how the two first met on set. Tom Holland helped to save this movie from cancellation by forcing negotiations between Sony and Disney. Under the terms of the New Deal, not only does Spider-Man No Way Home... Still take place within the MCU, but Spider-Man can also appear in future MCU movies, as well as Sony's own Spider-Man franchise. This film marks the first MCU trilogy to be directed by the same director, John Watts. All previous MCU trilogies, such as Iron Man and Captain America, had only two movies that had consistent directors through their respective trilogies. In the scene on the bridge where Doc Ock first appears, the license plate reads 6-3-ASM-3. The Amazing Spider-Man, Volume 1, Issue 3, released in 1963, was the first appearance of Dr. Octopus. The first trailer has become the most watched movie trailer ever with 355 million 500,000 global views on in its first 24 hours. This surpassed the previous record holder Avengers Endgame which accrued 289 million views. The show attains maximum power a clearly defined star-shaped burst of yellow electricity briefly forms around his head a few times in the film. This is an an homage to the iconic design of Electro from the comic books who wears a yellow star-shaped lightning bolt mask. The film became Sony's highest grossing film in history, earned $1.6 billion in its first 11 days at the box office. It was revealed at the film's premiere that Tom Holland and Zendaya had started dating This means that all three Spider-Man actors have dated their female co-stars as Tobey Maguire and Kirsten Dunst and Andrew Garfield and Emma Stone all had been romantically involved previously. The film was originally scheduled for release on July 16th, 2021, but due to the COVID-19 pandemic, its release date was delayed to November 5th, 2021 placing it in the on the original release date for the disney distributed mcu film dr strange in the multiverse of madness three months months later it was delayed a second time to december 17th 2021 the new doctor strange film was forced to undergo undergo rewrites, and reshoots in order to realign continuity with the Marvel Cinematic Universe as it was originally intended to be released prior to this film. The first film in almost two years and the first film of the COVID era to earn more than $100 million on its opening weekend at the domestic box office. So, on to info and ratings. We have a runtime of 148 minutes. Uh, This movie is rated PG 13 by the Motion Picture Association of America. Budget, 200 million. Opening weekend, 260.1 million. Worldwide gross, 1.9 billion. IMDb rating, 8.2. Rotten Tomato Critics Score, 93%. Rotten Tomato Audience Score, 98%. Personal rating, 5 out of 5 stars. Yeah, that's right. I fucking love it. All right, so, all right, everyone. Well, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Bye now. Brandon at Random Reviews artwork, theme music, and podcast are written, performed, recorded, engineered, directed, and produced by Brandon Griffiths in association with Brandon at Random Reviews Entertainment.